Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. On this, the first Sunday of the 2022 NFL season, my guest is writer Kevin Bryant, author of the nonfiction book Spies on the Sidelines, The High Stakes World of NFL Espionage. Cam Cameron, former Dolphins head coach and former Chargers and Ravens offensive coordinator, wrote about Spies on the Sideline, a great book. I learned during my career that great teams that cheat aren't unbeatable, but they sure are more difficult to beat, especially in the postseason. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Well, just to set the scene, we're about a month away from the first NFL game of the season on September 8th, the Buffalo Bills and the Los Angeles Rams. And one figure that I saw from a couple of years ago was that the combined value of NFL teams in 2020 was over $91 billion, and I'm sure it's gone up since. With that as a backdrop, it's not a surprise that NFL teams look for any advantage to win. But I'm curious, how did you decide to write Spies on the Sidelines, the high-stakes world of NFL espionage? Yeah, I think like a lot of people, I got very interested in the subject um, around the time of Spygate. And then as a, as a Broncos fan, when Spygate 2 took place, which was when um, the former Patriots offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, moved over to the Broncos to become their head coach. And um, the Broncos were caught, um, well, they turned themselves in ultimately, um, but they had taped another team's practice. And at that point, um, I got really interested in just how much spying goes on in the NFL and decided I was going to try to answer that question, at least for myself. Um, and then somewhere along the way, I just got absolutely fascinated with the subject, realized no one had written a book on it. And eight years later, I'm sitting here talking to you, Jeff. That's great. And just for those listeners who may not be familiar, can you just tell us quickly about the first Spygate and recap that? Yeah, absolutely. So the first Spygate took place in 2007, and that was when the New York Jets um, caught a member of the New England Patriots staff videotaping um, the game. And what they were doing, what the Patriots had been doing all the way back from 2000 was taping the signals that are issued um, by by the coordinators, typically the defensive coordinator. Um, so they would send in a signal that would tell the defense um, the play, um, the formation that they were to execute. And, um, and what the Patriots were doing was trying to match up the signals to the corresponding plays so that when they saw those signals in a game, they knew exactly what the opposing defense uh, was about to execute. And so I'm curious, what what are the current rules and what steps does the league currently take to stop teams from spying on one another? So in your example, I'm curious, are team personnel allowed to attend the live games of upcoming opponents and watch the coaches and play callers? So, yes, Jeff, they are. As a matter of fact, the NFL requires that seats be provided for upcoming teams for the purpose of scouting their opponents in advance. 
So yeah, absolutely. That takes place. And one of the things that teams are always watching for is, hey, can we figure out the signals of the opponent um, during these live events? And that could be, of course, um, you know, it could be um, signals that are the play. It can be audibles. And those can be verbal audibles. They can also be hand signals that the quarterback issues or, or the defensive captain issues. So it takes place um, in a lot of, a lot of different uh, forms. And the NFL sometimes has very particular rules, bylaws, or guidelines for spying, such as there's the Ray Anderson memo that was issued um, in regards to the Patriots videotaping other team signals that specifically said, you know, just that videotaping and opponent signals is not allowed. And then at other times, the teams get in trouble basically by very vague rules that say, you know, basically we expect you to um, conduct yourself in a ethical manner and, um, and to play, you know, to play fairly and all this type of stuff, which is very vague, and it leaves the NFL commissioner, whoever it is at the time, Roger Goodell now, a lot of leeway as to um, who they're going to punish and how severe the punishment is going to be, or even if they're going to punish them at all, um, because oftentimes the NFL chooses not to. Sure. Well, I'm not a football coach, but some people listening might be thinking, why do you need to spy since every single NFL game is televised every week? Um, and I think you've gone into this a little bit, but I wonder if you could just, what are the teams spying on and what are they trying to figure out? Is it the, is it the play calls and the play signals, the audibles, as you mentioned, what else are they trying to figure out? Yeah. So it's a whole variety of different things. So roughly 90% of of a, a team's, you know, plays, formations are the same week in and week out. But roughly 10% of that changes per game. And teams, the only way to figure out that extra 10% of how is a team going to change from one week to the other, the only way that information can be obtained is, specific, is, is typically via spine. And so that's the reason that teams are willing to engage in that. Now, some of those techniques are permissible, such as uh, advanced scouting. You know, film study is just one form of that, which is obviously a very big part of the NFL. Um, debriefing players as they switch teams. Uh, signals collection. As long as you're not recording it, using video to record those signals, that is permissible. And then going through the media. Uh, what's, on, what's available on radio, on TV, in the newspaper um, that is information that could provide a hint of what is to come. And then after that, you get into those techniques that are either controversial or illicit. Um, and those can include spying on others' teams' practices, trying to steal their paperwork, um, using listening devices, um, trying to elicit information from other players and coaches, having a spy inside of another team. So those are all some of the, um, the, the techniques that NFL teams use to try to get a game day advantage over their opponents. It, it would seem like, um, and again, I mean, I'm, I, I played high school football, but I'm, I'm not 
Um, I didn't play college or anything like that, and I'm I'm not a football coach. But it would seem like with the speed of the game, it, it would seem to me like you know, can they kind of process that stuff so quickly to get it onto the field and to adjust plays? But I mean, I, I'm assuming they do, or else they would there wouldn't be an advantage in trying to cheat, right? Yeah, Jeff, that's a really good question. So it it depends obviously on you know the the technique that you're talking about and how you can use it. Um, but it's 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 diff- it can be very difficult. So when you're talking about like signals collection, um, you know, that was one of the things that uh, Jimmy Johnson, the former Cowboys coordinator, uh, former Cowboys head coach, mm-hmm. had said after Spygate, he said we did the exact same thing. We taped opponent signals. However, we were unable to use this information. It just wasn't effective for us, and because of just the reason that you said there, it's very difficult to figure out how do you implement and how do you use it, especially as quickly as a game moves. So a team like the Patriots, for example, what they were doing to be able to use that information effectively was when Tom Brady would line up, he would come up to the line of scrimmage very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And what that would do was it would force the defense to show their hand. And then from there, the Patriots would adjust because they'd see that play call. They'd see the, the signal coming in for the defense and they could adjust their offense accordingly based on that. So that's just an example of, you know, one of the ways that teams c- can, you know, can process the information and use it. But also, like you said, there's a lot of difficulties trying to do it. And the best teams, it's not just about collecting the information. It's how do you process it? How do you analyze it? And how do you implement it? And that's really the big challenge. Right. And that goes a little bit to, I mean, beyond cheating, I mean, the whole, like, the whole thing about, you know, data and um, the... Uh, you know, the whole money ball and baseball, like, you know, can you use data in, a, in the NFL in the same way? Yeah, precisely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and teams have a ton of, um, a ton of employees, a ton of analysts that look at all this stuff. You know, if you want to just talk um, film study, right? you know, there, there's data and software out there that, that helps teams break everything down to the nth degree so that, they can put in search parameters to look through film to see, hey, if it is third and one, right, right. I want to see all of the third and one plays for the other team. Yeah. So yeah. that they can start to identify the tendencies of plays called by an opponent based on down distance and various situations, such as, you know, the location of the ball on the field at right. the time of the play. Well, I'm curious, when you were researching uh, the book, what were some of the earliest examples of the NFL spying that you were able to find? Yeah, so spying in football, actually, it predates the NFL. It goes all the way back to college football, and which, you know, really started up around the 1880s. So as soon as the NFL kicked off, it's already there. You know, George Hallis, who is considered to be, you know, the main founder of the NFL by a lot of people. Uh, he was the first Bears head coach. He, their story's going all the way back to him. He was mm-hmm. a big part of it. Right. Um, absolutely. So, you know, for example, he was using um, 
you know, when other teams would come to visit and and play uh, there in Chicago, he would have his the towel boys that were assigned to help the other team uh, come back to him and provide him information. You know, if they were in the <laughs> locker room discussing strategy, uh, they would return to him at some point and debrief them on what was going on and what what was taking place. Um, but you know, um, spying on other teams' practices has been around since the 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 very very beginning and um you know i think it really it's really interesting you know there's a lot of great stories from the beginning vince lombardi obviously one of the great packers head coaches versus, versus george uh hallis and just how paranoid those two were mm-hmm. uh, when dealing with each other because they both knew you know they used lots of tricks um and even like uh, elicitation was you know one of them trying to get information uh, by talking to having people talk to those players and um you know Vince Lombardi he actually kicked one of his own players in the butt one game because he was he was standing out on the field talking to a Bears player who you know they used to be teammates together um but you know Lombardi was like hey you know this is the Bears you know what are you doing we don't talk to them um <laughs> because he was so worried about you know the the player giving away information um, and, and while that sounds really paranoid, um, teams do all that stuff, you know, they, they use hotel employees to get information, to sift through the trash cans. Um, they use just random people to try to spark up conversations. Um, you can guarantee that they use good looking girls at bars, <laughs> you know, to try to get players talking. All of this is just, it's, it's, it's standard. It, it happens, you know. It happens year in and year out in the NFL. Well, I'm curious, as you were researching the book, what was the most kind of outlandish spying attempt that you found? Yeah, it was a couple of really good ones. Um, Sid Gilman, who was the coach of the Chargers, he invited um, his Patriots counterpart, Coach Holovac, from the, the Patriots. They were playing in, in the championship uh, championship game back there in the sixties and, um, Sid Gilman said, Hey, you know, championships games in San Diego, come down here. I'm going to post, put you guys up at a, at a, on a, uh, on a Marine base where you guys can train and conduct your practices. And so, uh, the Patriots coach was like, Hey, you know, thanks. That's great. So nice of you. What he didn't know was that Sid Gilman dressed uh, a couple of his assistant coaches up in Marine uniforms <laughs> and had them, you know, out there at the Patriots practices so that they could, you know, assist the Patriots as needed, you know, getting them water, running errands for them, whatever they needed. Um, as a result of this, uh, the Chargers knew absolutely, they knew all the plays the Patriots were going to run. They clobbered them. They racked up over 600 yards of offense against the Patriots. And when you think of that in the 1960s, you know, when games were often, you know, seven to three, mm-hmm. you know, 14 to 10 would have been a high scoring game. Right. Um, yeah. And, and they, I think that, I think the, I believe the Chargers scored 51 points and the Patriots only scored seven. Wow. And the only way the Patriots ever scored was when their quarterback, Babe Perilli came to the huddle and designed a play that had never been used before. You know, like we used to do as kids, you know, drop a play in the dirt. Um, and so, you know, it just goes to show how effective 
that spying on your opponents can be. Um, and this is a championship game. And one of the things I have in my book, I think that is really interesting is over and over all these examples of the impact that spying and collecting information on your opponents, what a huge impact that has made in so many championship super, you know, championship games and Super Bowls um, for the for the NFL. It's um, it's pretty staggering. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, I'm curious in the current slate of NFL teams and coaches, do you think there's one coach or team that tries more than others to get an unfair advantage by spying on their opponents? Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, you know, today, today it's the Patriots and it's, it's Bill Belichick, uh, without a doubt. And my mm -hmm. book has a whole section on them. You know, um, a lot of people are very aware of what, you know, Spygate and everything that went on there. Also Deflategate. Um, you know, when, when, uh, Tom Brady, uh, with the help of a couple with the help of a couple Patriots assistants was, you know, accused basically of deflating footballs, uh, so that he could get better, could get a better grip on the balls to throw. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that also is alleged to have taken place with the Patriots, such as headset tampering, um, such as going into the other team's locker rooms and stealing their play sheets which basically gives you the first 10 to 15 plays of what another team's offense is going to do. Um, a huge advantage. So, you know, the Patriots are definitely the team today that are the most involved in um, controversial or illicit techniques, um, or at least alleged to have been, or alleged to be. Um, having said that, all teams engage in collecting on their opponents to one degree or another. Um, often via the permissible techniques. Um, and if they're not willing to do it illicitly, a lot of teams are at least willing to go into the controversial techniques, such as, you know, I'd say stealing signals is one of those that's a little controversial. Um, lip reading, you know, trying to see what another coach, what play another coach is calling by using lip readers is um, a technique that is used. And that's why you'll often see coaches hold up a play sheet right. to their mouth when calling plays to try to block that. Um, and I interviewed a professional, well, a guy who played for the Gallaudet University, which is known as a school for the deaf. And um, he was, he's a fantastic lip, lip reader. And I, I tested him to see how effective it could really be. And I'll tell you, he was amazing. Um, and teams should absolutely be feared of, uh, scared of this as a technique. 
um, because you can you can get a lot of information if you can successfully do this. That's interesting. I'm curious in your research, did you ever um, did you discover any examples where cheating backfired on the team? I'm 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 kind of imagining a situation <laughs> where you know it's kind of a um, a chess match, meaning like if if someone if a team knows that their opponent is trying to steal their signals, they could try to basically. Um, set up false signals and false plays. Absolutely. So teams, you know, the, my spies on the sidelines, it is full of stories where teams try to spy, um, but, you know, fail because of one reason or another or get caught. Um, and I think part of the reason for that is because while teams typically have a former FBI agent or at least a former law enforcement official that handles their security, which often encompasses defensive countermeasures to prevent other teams from being able to successfully collect information on them, um, most of the time teams do not have a professional information collector, you know, um, and so coaches are kind of left to their own devices of how they're going to gather information on the opponents. And because of that, there's a lot of really um, funny stories in the book about, you know, that we always think of spying as, you know, James Bondish activities. But some of the stories are more like Austin Powers um, because these guys are, you know, they're, they're not they're not really trained in the art of espionage. And it often shows. But sometimes teams are really good at it. And like you mentioned, um, one of one of the techniques that teams use uh, to spy on their opponents is to debrief players from other teams that have, um, you know, debrief players that have been recently signed um, from another team. Right. So, for example, if the Denver Broncos are about to play the the Indianapolis Colts, they may sign a Colts player that has either been cut recently or who is on their practice squad. And they bring them onto their team, um, sometimes solely for the purpose of being able to debrief that player. Now, if the Broncos do that, the Colts may say, hey, you know what? We just, you know, they the Broncos just picked up this player and likely they're trying to get a bunch of information out of him about our team. So let's change things up a bit because they're going to like expect certain play calls or certain signals or maybe a hand um, signal from the quarterback, they're going to expect that to mean this. But you know what? We can change it up and we can alter that. And so what they may do is give that, um, they may show two or three signs that that player knows and the other team thinks, hey, look, we got some good intel. This is working out. The plays that he said are absolutely legitimate, but they're just setting up the other team. And then come like third and one, they set up for a run and they signal for a run or what the other team thinks is a run based on their intel. In reality, it's a class play that is designed to look like a run and to sucker that other team in right. and to leave the backfield wide open, which can go for a big play. And there are, you know, there are quite a few stories in the book about these types of incidents that take place and end up being the difference in some in some big games. So yes, that absolutely happens, Jeff. Well, you mentioned earlier that um, the NFL requires that teams have seats that are reserved for 
upcoming opponents so that they can scout. Um, do most teams have personnel who, who they send to those games? Yeah, all the teams still send personnel to those games. So, you know, why you would think film study is the end-all and be-all of, you know, scouting your opponent. Um, there are things that you cannot see on film as well as you like. Uh, one is speed. So it's really hard to decipher how fast a players are on film. And because of that, scouts like seeing people right up close, up front and personal. Another reason is obviously when you're trying to steal signals. So often what teams will do is they will, you know, they'll, they'll try to get information in advance and they may try to get it off of film such as what's available on TV because sometimes live broadcasts will catch like a hand signal that the quarterback will give. And then they'll, they'll, you know, they'll see that and they'll say, okay, this was the hand signal and this was the play that ensued. But we got that information. It's six weeks old. Now, in the week or two leading up to the game where they're going to play that opponent, they want to confirm, is that hand signal, does it still correspond to that play? Or has the signal changed? Or whatever. So they send scouts to that game with basically a list of of um, you know a, a list of intelligence, um, a, a list of their requirements that they want to know about, and say, hey, we would like you to find this information for us and confirm this or deny it or see how it's changed or or whatever it takes place. So all teams are still um, involved in advanced scouting and attending other teams' um, games versus other opponents. That's great. Well, do you have a favorite NFL team yourself? I do, yeah. I'm a, I'm a Broncos fan. Got it. And I'm curious, do you have predictions for the next Super Bowl? Oh, man. You know, I really, as much as I would love to say it's the Broncos, I think it's probably the Buffalo Bills' turn in the AFC. Um, they were so close last year. Yep. And, and they only got better in the offseason, especially adding Von Miller um, as a pass rusher. And if, I think if they use him like the Rams did last year, just you know, play him sparingly during the regular season and save him for the playoffs, I think they'll be in real good shape. Um, and then in the NFC, you know, the NFC is a bit more of a toss up. That's sure. a harder, that's a, that's a, that's a tougher guess for me. Um, you know, I, I never want to discount Tom Brady and the Buccaneers are looking good and we're out of training camp is he's only looking, you know, younger and stronger than ever, which I don't <laughs> know how that's possible. I, I, that, that guy, he's got, he's got the fountain of youth or something in his backyard. I'm not sure how he does it. That's great. Well, what books have you read recently that you enjoyed, either fiction or nonfiction? Well, to be honest, my life largely consists of reading books by NFL coaches. Um, well, you know, well because, what are some of those that you've read? Well, I, you know, I will, I won't say that those are. Uh, well, I've, geez, so many. I've probably read sixty in the last last uh, five six years on those. But you know what? Really, for pleasure reading. Um, my favorite ones are, um, I, I like reading 
uh, fantasy. Mm-hmm. I read a lot of, uh, I like Robert Jordan, um, sure. you know, the author of the Wheel of Time series, Brandon Sanderson. Yep. Who finished that series as well as, um, you know, created his own Stormlight um, series, which is really good. I love those books. Um, um, she's The Martian. Um, I ran yep. the sequel to that right now. I can't even think of the name of that one. Yeah, um, uh, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name of it. Um, that's great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your book, Spies on the Sidelines? Yeah, so the best way is to head over to my website. It's spiesonthesidelines.com. And there you can find out more about the book, about me. It has all of your um, all of the purchase options that are out there. And um, it has all of my social media handles there as well. Um, the book is out on hard, it's in hardback. It is an ebook and also audiobook format. So, um, yeah, you, you can see er- everything all the ways to buy it over, over on my, uh, over on my website. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Kevin Bryant, author of the nonfiction book, Spies on the Sidelines, The High Stakes World of NFL Espionage. The book is on sale now, as he just explained. So go buy a copy. And Kevin, thanks for doing this interview. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. The St. Louis Rams were heavy favorites heading into the 2002 Super Bowl versus the New England Patriots. And for good reason. The Patriots had finished the 2001 regular season with a solid 11-5 record, but this win-loss total belied New England's 24th-ranked defense in yards surrendered and its 19th-ranked offense in yards gained. Statistically, they were nothing more than an average team that had overachieved. In comparison, the Rams had put together a stellar 14-2 season had the top-ranked offense in the league in points and yards gained, and possessed the third-ranked defense in yards allowed. While the defense had been surprisingly stout all season, the Rams were renowned for their greatest show on turf. This offense was led by reigning league MVP Kurt Warner, their quarterback who had averaged just over 300 yards per game in the regular season. He was supported by wide receiver Torrey Holt, who would finish his career with seven Pro Bowl nominations, and Isaac Bruce, a future Hall of Fame inductee. Furthermore, the offense also employed the services of running back Marshall Falk, who had accumulated 2,147 all-purpose yards in the regular season, was the league MVP the season prior, and would be another future Hall of Fame inductee. With these weapons, the Rams were lighting up scoreboards all over the league. Four times this season, the St. Louis offense had scored 40 or more points, and it had scored 30 or more points on 12 occasions. The Rams were confident they could butt heads with any team in the league and come away victorious. Yet as lopsided as the game was on paper in favor of the Rams, it was anything but when the teams clashed. The Patriots gave the Rams everything they could handle, and despite a late comeback that almost saw the Rams climb back from a steep deficit, 
New England narrowly defeated the heavy favorites 20-17. The Rams were absolutely stunned. They had locked horns, and they had lost. Their vaunted offense had been held to a paltry six points through the first three quarters. NFL pundits and fans alike were trying to figure out how this could be as Rams players watched the confetti fall in disbelief. Rams running back Marshall Falk was one of those left pondering where everything had gone wrong. Falk's performance in the Super Bowl had been admirable. He had run 17 times for 76 yards and caught an additional four balls for another 54 yards, all in spite of being hit on almost every play, whether he was handed the ball or not. Yet somehow, the Rams had still come up short. Perhaps if the gadget plays Coach Mike Martz had designed had been more effective, it might have made the difference but the Patriots had always seemed to know what to expect. When Falk went back to receive a kickoff, something he had done only one other time all season, Adam Venateri had seemed to know he was back there and purposefully kicked away from him, pinning him on the sideline. When he caught a ball in the flat and expected to see nothing but green grass in front of him, Patriots defenders had anticipated where he would be and were standing there waiting for him. The Patriots' defense had been incredibly tough, and it was nothing if not well-coached and well-disciplined, but it also seemed omniscient at times, like with the red zone plays Coach Martz had installed just for the Super Bowl and the Rams had never used before. How had the Patriots known exactly what was coming? The Rams had intentionally thrown new looks and plays at the Patriots, precisely because the entire league knew how good the Patriots were at film study. Yet the Patriots' defense had known exactly what to do, even with the new plays and looks. How? There was nothing to study, and no way to know. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. 
As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.